not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in his ways, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they, are not, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth? From the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine, produce figs? Neither can salt, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, as we're going to examine the scriptures this morning about taming the tongue. And Father, we all have it in common because we all have one. And at times, Father God, we wish we didn't. But Father, we come before you now, we come before the authority of your word, under the instruction and inspiration of your Holy Spirit, to hear this word so that we can grow in our maturity in you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There was a, uh, a lady in a church that was a notorious gossiper. She would uh, hang on the phone most of the day, sharing tidbits with anybody who would listen, stirring up strife. She came to the pastor one day and said, Pastor, the Lord has convicted me of my sin of gossip. My tongue is getting me and others into trouble. The pastor knew she was not sincere because she had gone through that routine before. He had heard it before. Guardedly, he asks, well, what do you plan to do? And the lady responded by saying, she would like to place her tongue on the altar as a sacrifice. And she replied with pious fervor. Calmly, the pastor replied, there isn't an altar big enough for that sacrifice. <laughs> and he left her to think it over. So far in our examination of James under the theme of spiritual maturity, we see in James chapter 1, it speaks of maturing in our faith by way of trials and testings and being hearers of the word. In chapter 2, he speaks of maturing by what we do in our relationships and how we reflect in treating other people and how we are doers of the word in deeds and works that reflect our faith. Now in chapter 3, we will see that as believers in Christ, we are to mature in our speech, what we say, how we say it, in the manner in which we say it. 
It was once said of the human tongue. The amazing truth about the human tongue, it takes three years to learn how to use it, but it takes a lifetime to learn when and where to use it. One of the greatest responsibilities we have as believers is our tongue. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 through 37, Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word we speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. How and what we say matters. We may give great credence to actions as they speak louder than words, but words define our motives. For our actions reveal the heart. And so James now focuses on the attention on addressing the greatest instrument of ministry we have been ever blessed with, and that is the gift of tongue, our speech, and what we say. And so my proposition this morning is this. If we desire to mature in all aspects of our life in Christ, we must recognize the dangers that lie within our tongue and avoid them. And that's what James is writing about this morning. And so let's begin by verse 1, where James writes again, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now it's interesting here that James starts this new section by stating, Not many of you should become teachers. Whenever you hear that kind of phraseology, there's obviously something happening in the churches that he's writing to. There's something going on within the churches where maybe unqualified people desire to be teachers. When we look at the culture and historical context of these verses, we know that James is once again writing to Jewish Christians, and we assume that all of them were raised in the synagogue setting. And in that synagogue setting, when they come to worship, they might be called upon, or they've seen people called upon, to come up and read the Scripture and then give an explanation of what that Scripture says. Anybody can be called upon for that. In fact, we see this in Jesus Himself in Luke chapter 4, where He was called up to read and interpret Scripture, and He read Isaiah within His hometown of Nazareth. Fast forward to the early church. The early church is very informal. They had elders. It's not as formal as we have it today in our liturgical processes and schedules and manner of holding services. And in the same manner, somebody might be called upon to teach what that scripture is. In fact, some may desire to be a teacher. Some may desire to stand up in front of people for the prestige, for the honor, for the influence, and how it looks. And it's here is James providing a great warning as it relates to the tongue in that regard. Now, one of the greatest responsibilities we have is carefully interpreting and communicating God's Word. Whether you're called to be a pastor and you stand up and you preach the Word of God and you teach the Word of God, or you're called to lead a Bible study in your home, we are all called to do as Paul said to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling 
the word of truth. God's word is truth. It must be taught in truth. It must be spoken in truth. It must be lived in truth. Paul wrote these words to a young Timothy who was pastoring a church of Ephesus that had a lot of problems. And it was during that same time that there was false teachers in that church. And immature believers. And they were distorting the word of God. And as a result, some swerved from the truth. And so James provides the warning for those who teach and desire to teach. That you'll be held at a higher accountability. And you'll be judged with a greater strictness. And there's several reasons why this is. And we see the first one in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. I hate to break it to you this morning, but none of you are perfect. Nor am I. We all share a common weakness. And it's the propensity for the sinful nature to rear its ugly head. Thus causing us to sin in various ways. Now the word stumble here means to sin in speech. We're not talking about making a mistake in what you say like I did a couple of weeks ago when I said we ate at Texas Roadhouse when in fact we actually ate at Longhorn Steakhouse. I... <laughs> I did this recently in a sermon, and several of you came up to me and said, didn't you mean Longhorn Steakhouse? I'm pretty sure you didn't travel to Bismarck, right? In fact, one of them, one of the people that came up and says, you know, I don't know if we should have him as pastor. If he can't determine the difference between Texas Roadhouse and Longhorn, and he's up there doing announcements and preaching. <laughs> Give us Barabbas. <laughs> But rest assured, I met with that person, and she has now been reinstated as pastor's wife. <laughs> she's with the kids, so I can say that. Now, if she comes running in here, can stop her and tell her she's got responsibilities to go back to. Now, just to give you an example of how quickly we can stumble in our speech, last night I was uh, speaking to a brother on the phone for a considerable amount of time. And he's going through an extremely rough period in his life. I'm not going to get into the details, but suffice it to say, he's being crushed. And as he was venting and trying to understand what God is doing in his life, he let out a superlative that was not of God. It was not praiseworthy. Now, my ministry with this young man is to get him to draw closer to God. It is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be obedient to the Holy Spirit in every aspect of his life. And see, the thing that he's going through is God is calling him to press in. God is calling him to come to me. I am your refuge. I am your strength. Come to me. And he's having a hard time. And so when I heard that word, I commented to him that that's not the way we glorify God. And after I did that, he felt horrible. And that was not my intent. And he apologized. And he knew it was counterproductive 
to how I was ministering to him and what the Lord was showing him. And I share this story as an example of stumbling and that our speech needs to come under the authority of Christ in every aspect of our life, in every situation that we face, no matter what. Because we have the ability to stumble. And so what James is saying here in verse 2 is that our tongue has great power. But if it was bridled, we would be perfect. Perfect in our speech. Perfect in our whole body. Because as we speak, so we go. In Ephesians 2.9 it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up, as fit the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now why would he say that? Because words matter. Words matter. And so the first reason for the warning from James to tame the tongue is because we stumble in many ways and we need to be careful. We need to think about what we say before we say it to make sure it's within the grace of God. The second reason we find in verses 3 through 5 if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. And it's here we have the second warning given by James, and that is this. The tongue has the power to direct and to lead, especially Supervisors, bosses, parents, friends, mentors. Do you understand how much power there is in what you say to other people and how you guide them? And James uses the illustration of horses and bits, which I think is a great illustration because it's so true. He also uses the rudders of small boats and vessels and lar or large vessels with a small rudder and how they can be negotiated by just merely moving it. Shortly after I retired from the military, I went on a bucket list trip that I've always wanted to do, and that was a guided horseback elk hunt in Colorado. And I was up there for a week, beautiful mountains, southwest Colorado. And the horse that I had was... And I think my guide, Grant, thought it was funny to give me the horse that was the youngest, still learning how to ride trails. And uh, because they said, anybody ride horse? And I raised my hand. I didn't say I rode a lot. I just said I rode a horse. Some of those horses went in circles and went up and down, but I rode a horse. And this horse was stubborn at times. And he was very reactive. Twice, as we're going down this trail, the horse slipped and fell on its side, and I was able to get my foot out of the stirrup before it hit. It would have broke my leg. It was not confident in where it was going and not always responsive to where I would want it to go. One afternoon, the guide took me up on Iron Mountain, about 11,000 feet, and we waited until dark to see if elk would cross over as they would normally do. And since nothing was moving, we headed down the mountain at around dark. And that kind of freaked out my horse. He didn't like that. 
And so we kind of just stood there on top of the mountain as Grant was 100, 200 yards already down the mountain. And when he looked back and seen that I wasn't right behind him and I was doing everything I can without really making the horse mad to get going, Grant turned around, came up, and when he got up to my horse, he grabbed the reins of that horse and he snapped him and he pulled him down that mountain and that horse responded to it. And just by the pull of the reins, that horse moved when it otherwise didn't want to. Conversely, a few years ago, Darla and I went riding with some friends down in Martin, North Dakota on some horses, and the horse that I was on was so trained, slightest of movement with those reins, that horse turned. Just the slightest movement. And it turned. It was about 11, 12-year-old horse. Very well trained. Very well a mature horse. But it's also the same with ships and boats. I have a large fishing boat, and the slightest turn of the motor turns the entire boat. That's Paul, driving it like a boss. One time we were fishing, and he turned the wheel, and all of a sudden my boat was going left, and I'm like, my trolling motor was fighting. I'm like, what is going on? Here, my whole motor was turned left. Just the slightest movement of a motor can turn an entire boat. And that's what James is talking about here. And as a pastor, I have an immense responsibility in preaching and teaching God's Word in truth and accurately. And I've always encouraged people to go home and study what I preached and further study it than just simply hearing it. So that you can live it out in your life. But I better be right. Now, there's always variations of opinion on how the Scripture is written and so on and so forth, but I better not be flat-out wrong. I better not be contradictory. I better be, as Paul said in Timothy, rightly dividing the word of truth, which means to properly interpret the Scripture. You know, I cringe when I hear popular teachers on television that have large churches. And they preach nothing more than becoming a better you and receiving the material blessings that God has in store because, you know what, Satan stole that from you and now you need to get yours back. I don't hear anything about enduring trials and tribulations like my friend. How do you deal with that? I never hear of picking up your cross and following Christ when life presses in. I don't hear that. I rarely hear of repentance and holiness as a standard of living for a Christian and a believer in Christ and obedience to the Holy Spirit. What are they preaching? What are they hearing? I was sitting and talking with Jason Brown this week, and one of the principles of preaching is preaching Christ. That's our aim in becoming like Him. Not bettering yourself by worldly standards. Not receiving material blessings. Not the power of thinking and how it can change your life. Our purpose is to spiritually mature in the image and likeness of Christ. 
to know him and to make him known. And as a pastor, my responsibility is to teach and equip the body for ministry and to do it in the truth of God's word and not in the latest worldly method for church growth and self-improvement. And it's a great responsibility because there is power in teaching and preaching and leading others to the love of good works of Christ. And if I get it wrong, then you may get it wrong. And I'm responsible for that. Listen to 1 Timothy, as written by Paul. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the truth. And so we see that the power of the tongue is able to guide and direct. Then in verse 6, we see the third reason. Verse 6 reads, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Meaning that's its source. Now verse 6 is considered the most serious verse within the Bible as it relates to the tongue and its warning. And right from the start, James refers to the tongue as a fire, and a world of unrighteousness, and it has the power to destroy. And that is the third warning that we receive. Now, what is James saying here? First, he connects fire with the tongue, and rightfully so. As with the smallest of ambers, embers can start a raging forest fire that destroys millions of acres. We've seen that happen. And it can ignite a firestorm that destroys other people. We see it in politics all the time. And within cancel culture, there's no redemption. It's just canceled. And most of it is not true. Or it's a distortion of the truth. And the world of unrighteousness means that it alludes to the great collection of iniquity that can come from the tongue of any person. When Darla and I first moved to Glenburn in that following spring was the driest I've ever seen it. It barely rained. I walk on my grass and it crackled and crunched and dust came up. And I was worried about fire because it could consume my trees and maybe even my house. That year there were several fires out in that area by Glenburn and every time I drove to Glenburn and I seen the smoke, I just started praying, Lord, let that not be my place. Seth had even more trees and even taller grass that could have went up very easily with just the slightest of embers. It's the same with the tongue. Any ember can start a huge firestorm that could be hard to put out, hard to stop, and easily destroy. And there are many embers that can flow from within the church. There's the ember of gossip. There's the ember of criticism. There's the ember of a lie or a false truth or a false accusation. And the subtlest and the most dangerous is a destructive ember of undermining somebody else. I call it an undertow. 
If you ever been to the ocean, you go kind of wade in the ocean. During low tide, when the water is receding, the water comes in gently, but then you can feel the current just almost rip your legs right out from underneath you. I call it an undertow. On the surface, it doesn't seem like a threat, but underneath, the threat is very real. Undermining someone is to use critical statements to fly underneath the radar as just mere comments. Satan is the master of this, and we see an example of this with Eve herself. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of, the, uh, eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. You see what, G, what Satan did there? He undermined God and his commandment and baited Eve into questioning it. That's what undermining does. They make you question the person being spoken to or spoken about in order to turn you towards their way of thinking. It's calculated. It's not a slip of the tongue. It's purposeful. Therefore, you start questioning the person. And it happens in the church more than you think. Darla knows that I hate it. I literally hate it when I hear someone subtly put down someone else in order to elevate themselves, especially in couples. You see it a lot in couples, and it's not healthy. I'm not talking about joking and having a good laugh. I'm talking about a person who says, I was with dinner with another couple years ago, and that person was in ministry, and his wife, one after another, my wife was holding my arm like, don't say nothing. <laughs> I just cringe when I hear it because it reveals an unhealthy relationship of the person and the couple. And it breaks my heart because it's embarrassing for them. And it's sin. And when we do this, James says it stains the whole body. Don't think that a few words are innocent and they just flow out. No, they stain the whole body and character of you. And remember, if anybody does that, remember, they may be thinking they're sly, but they're really revealing who they are. And it's obvious. The words we speak are generated from the heart. And they're processed through the mind. And it's revealed in the character and maturity of the believer. And if our heart is not right, then we're not going to be right. Matthew 15, 18 says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. And if we're not right, it will set a fire on our lives and the lives of other people. We don't want that. We are to love one another. We are to encourage one another. We are to lift each other up in love and good works. We are to be there for them empathetically in their lives to help them through the trials and tribulations. This body has always been labeled a loving body, a welcoming body. Praise the Lord. And it is my prayer that we continue in that.
But in order to do that, we must guard what we say and how we say it. And that's the third reason, is that it could be destructive. We see the next one in verses 7 through 8. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame this tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You know, all manner of animals have been either subdued or tamed by man. In fact, that was decreed by God Himself in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. For we are to have dominion over all the living creatures. Now, tamed means here to restrain or curb, and because God decrees, we are unable to tame and curb all manner of animals. In fact, we have been able to tame some of the most impressive creatures to do some of the most amazing things. When I learned that a gorilla knows sign language and is able to communicate, and I can't remember her name, but she was able to communicate her feelings by virtue of sign? It's amazing to me. And yet, we're unable to tame the tongue. In fact, that is one thing that James says we cannot do. Now, the way it is written, it is by man alone cannot tame the tongue by way of his own effort, by way of his own or her own will. The tongue cannot be tamed by man. But remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, What man, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Now, the context of this verse is when the disciples were asking Jesus, who can be saved after sharing the principle and story of the kingdom of heaven as it relates to a camel and the eye of the needle? But the universal truth of this verse is that God is able to do all things. He is able to redeem you. He is able to transform you. And He is able to tame the tongue. Listen to these encouraging scriptures. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. That power is the Holy Spirit. And when we're under the control and obedience to the Holy Spirit, the tongue can be tamed. We can't do it. But we must be obedient in it. Because, as I've said many times, when we obey the Holy Spirit, we are empowered in that obedience. We are strengthened in that obedience. We can't tame the tongue, but He can. Praise the Lord. He can. My brothers right here, growing up in the military, every other word out of our mouth was not praiseworthy. But I have never heard these men slip in years because they've given themselves to the obedience of the Holy Spirit. 
and it's changed their life. It's changed their mind. It changed their heart. It changes us to where the words that we speak are words of grace and love and mercy and building up and not tearing down. Words matter. That old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, that's not true. You know people where words spoken to them at times in their life had a dramatic effect on their life. They wound. They hurt. But praise God, there's healing. There's healing for those wounds. And God wants to heal us. God wants us to tame our tongue. We have to address the final reason for the warning from James 9 through 12. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and curses. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does spring pour forth the same opening from fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives and grape? Grapevine produce figs. Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. Here's the final warning that we receive. That the human tongue can be perverse. Meaning on one hand it can sing praises of the Lord and on the other right after that can say things that are not praiseworthy. You know, I recently spent time with a friend of mine this week. I had to go over and talk to him and uh, for my other job, and he's a believer, and, and he faithfully serves and leads in the church here in Minot. And we spoke for a few minutes. As time was short, and our conversation moved from the topic of me being in bivocational ministry and then moving in three years to a southern state and the steps that he was taking currently to make that all happen. And now my friend tends to dominate the conversation, so I just sat and listened and in mere minutes, he went from God blessing everything that they're doing to set them up to be good to go in a southern state that they're moving to, to turning right around and calling other people idiots and stupid because of how they act. And when he was talking about God's blessing, you could just see the blessing on his face. And then when he talked about how people are stupid and he has to deal with them, you could see the anger in his face. That's how easy that can happen in the same conversation. And that is not how that ought to be. I think my brother said it in Sunday school class. Those idiots, those stupid people are created in the image and likeness of God and he loves them. Do the same. Do the same. What's ironic is his favorite book is the book of James. And I'm not indicting my brother. We had a good talk after that. That's how easy that can happen. We are to keep our tongue. In Psalms 34, 13, it says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Both should not come from the same tongue. That is why James says both fresh and salt water cannot come from the same source. One of the greatest concerns in the oil patch is the contamination of fresh water by the drilling activity. Some wells contain salt water. 
and there are saltwater disposals all throughout western North Dakota. And the great concern is that the saltwater would contaminate fresh water, thus ruining it as a source. And it's the same with our tongue. Our cursing of others, our non-constructive criticism of others, and our undermining of others, or a negative comment of others can contaminate and compromise the work of the Holy Spirit, not only in our lives, but in theirs. Because words matter. What we say matters. You know, the Holy Spirit is synonymous with springs of water. And as James tells us, our tongue can contaminate those springs and quench the Holy Spirit. And so, the reasons for the warning are clear this morning. We all have a propensity to stumble, that the tongue is able to lead and direct. It can be very destructive. It cannot be tamed by man, but only by God. And it can be perverse. Now, brothers and sisters, James is not trying to talk anyone out of being a teacher. He's not trying to talk you out of being a, a pastor or a leader of a Bible study or mentoring or discipling someone as we are all called to do. What he's doing is calling our attention to the warnings that exist as it relates to the tongue so that we're aware, so that we're on guard, so that we're careful so that we yield, so that we're obedient to the Holy Spirit. Because teaching and professing God's Word comes with great responsibility. Not only in the words we use, but the heart that produces them and the character that holds them. And as we desire maturity in our spirit, we must tame the tongue by recognizing its evils and being obedient and being on guard to it and yield to the Holy Spirit in purifying our speech. I'll leave you with this scripture. Psalms 19.14 Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Father, we come before you and we give you thanks. Father, that you have saved us you empower us. You give us the ability to live this life in Christ. You give us your word, not only to build up our faith and convict us of sin and unrighteousness, but also to warn us of the propensity and the ease by which we can fall into sin. But Father, we're thankful we're thankful that your word guides us. You're, we're thankful that your word, Father, warns us. And we're thankful that your mercy forgives us when we do. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit, Lord. And I pray that it's operating in our lives to its full effect by our yielding. And so, Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for this message. It's a hard one to preach. It's a hard one to hear. It's a hard one to write. But, Father, I thank you that we have the truth of your word. And I pray that I preached it in truth. And I ask it, your blessing in Jesus' name. Now, as we